In John chapter 4, Jesus describes the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Verses 23 and 24. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now for the next few minutes, stay tuned to worship in spirit and truth with Pastor Jeff Scoggin. Finally, Jesus was at rest quietly in his tomb. He had just had the most unimaginably cruel day. Beginning Thursday night when his, one of his best friends, Judas, brought a crowd of thugs armed with spears and swords and clubs to arrest Jesus in the place where Judas knew that he would be. His special place of prayer. Until early morning, Friday morning, when the chief priests and the elders tried unsuccessfully to prove him guilty of something. To sunrise when Pilate interviewed him and then handed him over to be cruelly beaten and finally handed him over to his own people to be crucified. Has anyone ever had a worse day? Have you ever said, I, I'm having a bad day? I just tried to think as I was you know, going over this whether it's really even possible for anyone to have ever had a worse day than Jesus. And I don't think so. I don't think it would have been possible to put, been th put through more cruelty and more torture than Jesus had that day. If you ever think you're having a bad day and you think nobody understands, I guarantee you Jesus understands. Well, at about 9 o'clock that morning, Jesus was nailed to his tree to die. And by noon the sun in the sky could stand it no longer. And it went out. It hid its face, covering Calvary in darkness. And by three o'clock, Jesus lifted his voice up in triumph. Have you ever thought of that? It wasn't surrender. It was triumph. And he said, it is finished. Jesus knew that he had accomplished what he had set out to do. He knew that he had rescued those that he loved from the penalty that awaited us. A penalty of death for our sin. And as the life of our world's Redeemer flickered and died, even nature showed its grief. It wasn't only the sun that knew that its creator had died. Have you read the verses closely? The earth, planet earth itself, knew that its creator had died. And it heaved in a mighty earthquake. The rocks on Calvary. These things don't have brains. Inanimate nature even knew that if their creator was dead 
and the rocks split apart and shattered on Calvary. All of nature and all of heaven suffered along with their creator. But you know, it wasn't the physical pain that hurt Jesus so badly, was it? You've heard that before. It wasn't the whipping and the crown of thorns and the beating and the slapping and the spitting and the laughing and the nails and the spear. Those weren't the things that killed Jesus. Those weren't the things that brought him so much pain. He died because no body and no mind could stand the weight of the guilt of the world. That's what killed Jesus. The weight of the sin of all past, present, and future. Anyone who ever had sinned to anyone who ever would sin, Jesus bore it all. His heart and His body died as a result of being overloaded by the guilt of all human beings. If anyone cared to try, there really would be no convincing us ourselves that maybe Jesus died for someone else. Maybe that Jesus died for the sins committed up to his time. Jesus covered the sins for the future as well. We cannot say that someone else killed Jesus. If it was the nails, if it was the spear, if it was those things that had killed Jesus, then maybe we could have said it, that someone else killed Jesus. But it was our sins that killed Jesus. We are guilty of the blood of Jesus. Even though he gave it up willingly. We didn't take it. He gave it. He gave it for us. But finally it was over. And Jesus took a well-deserved rest over the Sabbath day. Satan didn't rest though, did he? And the chief priests and the elders, they didn't rest either. Well, they probably tried to make it look like it, but their minds were going, trying to think over the, the past events and, and what could happen in the future. They went on or tried to go on with their regular Passover rituals. It was the Passover time, right? They tried to go on with those things, but it just wasn't right. Something wasn't right. As indicated by the one very special room in the temple called the Most Holy Place. The Most Holy Place. The place where God lived among His people. At the time of the evening sacrifice, imagine this in your mind, a priest is standing there with a knife, with a lamb on the altar, perhaps standing before this room that no one had ever seen. No one had seen inside of that room excepting one priest, the high priest, a very specific priest, on a very specific day of the year. It was the only people that had ever seen that. But here was this 
priest at the time of the evening sacrifice, three o'clock in the afternoon, when Jesus died. Think there was coincidence there? No way. And as he stands there, suddenly, the curtain that separates the most holy place from the holy place ripped from the top to the bottom. Exposing that room that no one could see without dying. Sacrifices just weren't the same after that when it was so obvious that God's presence was no longer there. There was also a problem with the sick people. You see, a lot of people were coming to the temple looking for Jesus. And as they had come, they had been filled with hope. They had heard stories, maybe they had even seen it for themselves, of this master healer. And people were coming to Jesus, people who had been blind and had been convinced and had been told, there is someone who can heal you. And they believed it. They knew that there was nothing too much for Jesus to heal. They had seen it all. From the little tiny cuts that a little boy may have had to somebody that was dead for four days. It didn't matter to Jesus. Jesus could raise them from the dead. There was nothing that Jesus couldn't heal. Can you imagine, those of you with health problems particularly, can you imagine the hope that you would have in your heart as you came to Jerusalem that day? You knew you were going to be healed. And when they found out what had happened, their hopes were shattered. And they became angry. Understandably, don't you think? They became angry with those who had been responsible for taking away their hope in killing Jesus. And they demanded, irrational as it may have been, they demanded that the priests bring Jesus back. And it got so bad that the priest called in soldiers to push the people out of the temple. Think about that scene. The sick, the suffering, those who wanted their sins forgiven, they were coming to the church to meet Jesus. Is there any other reason to come to a church? There shouldn't be. There are, but there shouldn't be. And the religious leaders pushed them away. Now, I could make a whole sermon just out of that, but I'm not going to. I can take it to its logical conclusions. The priests uh, during this time also remembered something that apparently Jesus' own disciples had forgotten. And that was Jesus' prediction that within three days, he was coming back. He was going to rise again. And so the priests, in order to help make sure that that wouldn't happen, went to Pilate. And he gave them a squad of soldiers, a hundred of them, to go and make the tomb as secure as they could possibly make it. And they put a seal, a Roman seal. Removing that seal meant death. A Roman seal over a stone that already no one person could move. 
and stationed the guard around so that no one could break in and steal the body in order to claim that Jesus had risen again. That may have worried some people. I, for one, wish they had put a thousand soldiers there, all the more witnesses to what was going to happen that morning. Well, Satan also stationed his forces around that tomb. Wouldn't you expect that? He had in his mind that if he could just keep Jesus in the grave, that maybe he would still have a chance. Because as long as Jesus was dead, he was victorious. But if not, he was doomed. But there were other angels there as well. The forces of good surrounded the tomb also, protecting their creator. You know, even though many, many people in Jerusalem were absolutely drenched in inconsolable grief over the loss of Jesus, the angels weren't weeping. They had, as they had watched Jesus suffer and die. But once Jesus was dead, he no longer suffered. And neither did the angels. They knew what was going to happen next. They were filled with joyous anticipation of Sunday morning. When not only would they be reunited with their Creator, but everyone, all of the people who would accept Jesus and His sacrifice for them would be coming with Him. If not then, later. But it was as good as done. This was cause for celebration, not tears. It really was finished. It really was finished. Salvation Eternal life was guaranteed. What was that word? Guaranteed to anyone who could live their lives without sin from there on out. Is that what it says? That is not what it says. Salvation was guaranteed to anyone who would accept Jesus and His sacrifice for them. That was it. To accept it. Well, the soldiers at the tomb, they knew the penalty for sleeping on duty, didn't they? It was death. Do you think they slept that night? That's pretty strong reason to stay awake. And so they did. They faithfully kept watch on that tomb by that night. But they were completely unprepared for morning. And so, frankly, were Satan and his angels completely unprepared for morning. As soon as the dawn broke the horizon, Gabriel, the angel who had taken Lucifer's place in heaven in the throne room of God, Gabriel strode through the middle of the soldiers. His face flashed like lightning and he had a message for Jesus from his father. The soldiers staggered and fell to the ground. And Satan was furious 
when he saw that even his angels fled the scene. And Gabriel went up to that stone, swatted it away like it was a pebble, and called in, Jesus, your father calls you. And Jesus stood up. And he walked out of the tomb. Gone were the marks of Friday. The lashes on his back were gone. The holes in his head from the thorns, the bruises from the beatings, all of it was gone. He was resurrected in glorified form, all except for his hands and his feet and his side where the nails and the spear had pierced him. Those marks, those scars were to remain forever as a reminder to you and me and to all of the universe of the incredible price that Jesus paid to rescue all the people that were nice to him, right? To rescue who? To rescue the very ones who rebelled against him. Is that the way people putting down rebellions work? No. When you put down a rebellion, you slaughter all the people rebelling. Not Jesus. He gave up his own life to save those who were rebelling against him. Incredible love. And Satan also knew that it really was finished. That he had lost, that he would someday die. But we can know of that day that we will someday not die. That we have a new lease on life. Death for us is no longer something to be feared. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? For us, death is nothing but a momentary I hope well-deserved rest. A Sabbath, so to speak. For if we die having accepted Jesus as our Savior, the next thing we will do is we will wake up hearing His voice calling us to a life of eternal glory with Him. Gone will be the scars of this life. And we will be resurrected in glorified form. If you have not totally accepted what Jesus did for you, I would invite you to do that today. And when I say totally accepted, I don't mean some sort of a head thing that said, yes, I accept what Jesus did for me. And then go live your life the way that you always have. Is that accepting Jesus? No, it's not. When I say totally accepting Jesus, that means a total life transformation. That means giving your life to Jesus. To live in you and to live through you. It means loving Him. And how did He tell us we love Him? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will obey. We will obey. Would you today commit your life to living for Him 
And if this is the first time, that's great. But if you've committed to your life to living to him before, I would invite you to recommit it today. Because have any of us really, truly, totally surrendered? No, we haven't. If you'd like to make that decision with me today, I just pray that you would raise your hand with me as I pray. Our Father, we pray today for strength and power to do what we cannot do. We understand the price that you paid when you sent Jesus to die for us, but we do not even really know how to surrender completely to your control. And so, Lord, today you saw the hands raised here. And I just ask that you would take each person who wants to commit their lives to you or wants to recommit our lives to you, that you would take and do in us a good and perfect work that we cannot do for ourselves. And help us, Lord, to rest in that knowledge that it is you who are doing the work in us and that we don't have to do it that we can be fully convinced, fully assured that our salvation is guaranteed simply by accepting and allowing you to live in us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Communion doesn't usually fall on Easter, I don't think. And I'm, I'm glad that it did this time, at least close. Um, the night Jesus was taken away, Thursday night, guess what he was doing just before? This. And he, before he even did the bread and the wine, he did something else that a lot of people overlook. He washed his disciples' feet. And then he said, go and do the same thing for each other. And so we continue that tradition in our church. It's not a popular one. A lot of people don't do it anymore. But he said to do it, so we do it. So we're going to separate and wash each other's feet, as our Lord told us to do. Thank you for joining Pastor Jeff Scoggins today for Worship in Spirit and Truth. We would love to hear your thoughts about the program, and your financial support is also greatly appreciated so that we can continue bringing you these kinds of programs. Tell your friends they can find the program Spirit and Truth right here on this station. Stay tuned for contact information and more details from your local station to follow. Until next time, keep your mind fixed on Jesus.
This is Pastor Jeff Scoggins. Thank you for listening to Spirit and Truth. Often listeners contact me or the station wanting to know how to get a copy of a specific program or more information. All of these programs are archived as podcasts, and many of them are on video as well. You can find relevant links at my website, www.scoggins.biz. You will also find books and Bible study resources there as well. So if you didn't get to hear one of these programs all the way through or missed one in a series, you can find it by visiting scoggins.biz. That's S-C-O-G-G-I-N-S dot B-I-Z.